Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Friday, August 12th, 2022. This is the last show for the week. I will be back after the weekend to catch you guys up, but for now, we got lots of stuff. The first story at the top of Antiwar.com, Western nations pledge long-term support and new military aid for Ukraine. So there was a conference in Denmark on Thursday That was attended by 26 Western nations, and they agreed to keep supporting Ukraine in its war against Russia for the long term, and they pledged more than $1.5 billion in new military aid. The $1.5 billion includes donations from Britain, Denmark, Norway, a few other countries, and according to the Danish foreign minister, he expects that more countries will pledge money and that that 1.5 billion will increase. He said some of them need to go back home and get the support of their parliaments. The conference was addressed by Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky by video link. Ukraine's defense minister attended it in person. Uh, Neither of them specified what sort of weapons they expect to get from this new aid. Uh, We saw the British say that they will send Ukraine more multiple rocket launch systems which are similar to the HIMARS rocket launch systems that the U.S. has been sending. They have a range of about 50 miles. And Norway said that it will start training Ukrainian troops in Britain. There's been a lot of Ukrainian forces training in the U.K. The new aid pledged by these 26 nations, it really is just a fraction of what the U.S. has been sending Ukraine. I mean, when you talk about the numbers that the U.S. is putting up, $1.5 billion doesn't sound like a lot. Just this week on Monday, we saw the U.S. announce $5.5 billion. Just in one day, they announced this in new aid for Ukraine. Of that amount, $4.5 billion was in budgetary aid, which goes straight to the Ukrainian government, and that's to pay for government services and pensions and things like that, health care. It's really so Ukraine's government doesn't have to cut its budget. And then the $1 billion, they announced a, a, a weapons package, a billion dollars worth of weapons. It was the lar- single largest weapons package that the U.S. is going to send at one time to Ukraine. Um, according to USAID, with this new aid, it brings the total of budgetary aid that the U.S. is giving Ukraine to $8.5 billion. That's just in the budgetary. That's just in the money that they're handing to the Ukrainian government. They've pledged over $9 billion in weapons for Ukraine, and that's weapons that are being shipped directly into the country. The U.S. is also spending money on this war in other ways. They've given There's aid for what they call foreign military financing, which is a State Department program where they give a foreign government money to buy weapons from U.S. arms makers. And they've also just given money straight to the Pentagon, The Pentagon uses some of it to replenish its stockpiles that they're sending to Ukraine, and they have plans to replace some of the stuff with more advanced weapons. So it's just a total boondoggle for the Pentagon and for the Secretary of Defense's friends at Raytheon, (laughs) Lloyd Austin, before he joined the Biden administration as the head of the Pentagon. He sat on the board for Raytheon. Um, And this is still being pulled from the $40 billion bill that Biden signed back in May. We're probably going to see a new Ukraine aid bill being drafted soon. So this next one here, this is actually from our viewpoint section. 
and it's from Edward Lozansky. He is the head of the American University in Moscow, and he wrote about these shellings that we've been seeing at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which is in uh, Russian-controlled territory in Ukraine in the Zaporizhia oblast. It's titled, Nuclear Catastrophe is Gaining Momentum in Ukraine. So now this power plant, it's on the Dnieper River, and it's controlled by Russia. It's still staffed by the Ukrainians that were working there. But the plant is controlled by Russia, and so is the territory around it. Now, across the river, is controlled by Ukraine. So we've seen a lot of shelling at this plant. Just on Thursday, there was some more reported shelling. And as Lazansky asks here, the obvious question is, who is responsible for this shelling? And we've seen Zelensky just blame Russia, and the Western media is kind of portraying that it is Russia that's doing it, even though Russia controls the plant. So it doesn't make sense why Russia would be bombing this nuclear power plant that they control. I don't see any reason that they would have to do that. But you see the way that this is being written up in the media. Uh, it's usually, oh, Russia and Ukraine trade blame for, for shelling on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. It's a typical headline you'll see. And then buried in there is the fact that Russia controls it. Because um, that just tells me that it's not Russia that's doing it. Now, we've also seen Ukraine ac accuse Russia of setting up, of uh, launching attacks from the area, which would draw fire from Ukraine. Which is interesting because that's kind of Ukraine admitting that it is them that's doing the shelling. Uh, but this is a big problem. Uh, we've seen UN officials, um, the UN hasn't blamed either side they're just you know saying it must stop warning of nuclear disaster and the head of the international atomic energy agency Raphael grossi um he's been you know he wants to go in there and inspect the plant and as lozanski points out in this piece russia has been calling for the iaea to come in but it's been delayed it's not really clear why um but yeah, it's just something that's getting misrepresented by the Western media, this whole situation. Okay, so this next one here, this was, this is very strange. Uh, the Ukrainian Defense Ministry, they made a veiled threat against Russian civilians in Crimea. So the Ukrainian Defense Ministry, they tweeted out this video, um, and which was basically threatening Russian tourists that are in Crimea. They said, quote, unless they want an unpleasantly hot summer break, we advise our valued Russian guests not to visit Ukrainian Crimea, end quote. And then they, the video is very odd. Um, it opens with, it's, I guess it's a video. It's meant for Russian tourists. It says you had a few options this summer and you chose to vacation in Crimea. Big mistake. And then the video shows um, the series of blasts that hit a Russian airbase in Crimea. And it was near the beach. And we saw videos of beachgoers, you know, running from the area. They had a view of the explosion. So they show all that footage in this video. And it says, time to head home. Crimea is Ukraine. So this is, see, it comes off just as a threat to people that are visiting Crimea, and it signals that, you know, this is the Ukrainian defense ministry that put this out. It signals that they're planning more attacks 
on Crimea. And again, we saw these blasts at this Russian airbase, the Saki airbase in Crimea, major explosions. Russia has tried to downplay it, claiming that it was just an accident. But we also saw Ukrainian officials speaking anonymously to the media, claiming that it was a special forces attack, which would be a pretty big escalation. Russia has made it clear that attacks, they would view attacks on Crimea as a major provocation and that it could really escalate the war. Um, and also, you know, the U.S., the weapons that the U.S. has been giving Ukraine, some of them, like the HIMARS, they gave them to Ukraine on the condition that they won't be used to target Russian territory. But Crimea is different. Russia has controlled Crimea since 2014, but neither the U.S., or Ukraine recognize it as Russian territory. So it appears that the U.S. ban on using their weapons on Russian territory doesn't apply to Crimea. I asked the State Department if it does, and their response to me, they said Crimea is Ukraine. So they are suggesting that, yeah, they can use weapons on Crimea. And We've seen Zelensky, he just said this the other day, that they're going to take back Crimea, that they're going to liberate Crimea. That's part of his goals. So they're not really in the position right now where they can launch a full offensive on Crimea. Russia controls the Kherson Oblast, which is to the north of Crimea. So, But this could be kind of a, a preamble to more Ukrainian attacks. We might see more of these explosions in Crimea, but just a very strange uh, post here from the Ukrainian defense ministry. And I don't see how you're supposed to take it any other way that they're threatening. Hey, if you Russians stay in Crimea, you know, you might get hurt or killed. And, you know, it's important to note uh, Russia took Crimea in 2014 after the U.S. backed the ousting of former President Viktor Yanukovych. Crimea's residents, which are mostly ethnic Russians, it's about 60% are ethnic Russians and have been for some time. They voted in a referendum to join Russia, you know, in the U S and the West has denounced that referendum as a sham, but we've seen plenty of polls before they Russia took Crimea and after that, that said the same thing that Crimeans wanted to be part of Russia and that they're happy now after the fact that they are. They're happy with the change. Um, so that's, you know, if Ukraine wants to take back that territory, the people that live there might not uh, want that to happen. Because, you know, they, they don't want war to come to Crimea. Okay, so the next one here. So this is related. Now, I mentioned there were some anonymous Ukrainian officials speaking to the Washington Post, speaking to the New York Times, claiming that, that those blasts were a Ukrainian special forces attack. Now, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, he is frustrated by these unnamed officials speaking to the press. During his nightly address on Thursday night, he said that the leaks were harming the army's defense efforts, and he called them irresponsible. He said, quote, war is definitely not the time for vanity and loud statements. The fewer details you divulge about our defense plans, the better it will be for the implementation of those defense plans, end quote. So he didn't say specifically what leaks he was talking about, but I would guess it's the uh, claims about the 
blasts in Crimea. And this is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. Okay, so the next one here, Taiwan rejects China's one country, two system plans for unification. So China on Wednesday, they released their new white paper on Taiwan, which called for peaceful reunification, as they call it. And, you know, they have proposed this before, that they want a one country, two systems situation where Taiwan would remain autonomous or have a certain degree of autonomy and would be kind of its own system, but it would still be part of China, still be part of the People's Republic of China. And we saw Taiwan on Thursday after they, they put this report out and kind of reiterate that that's what they want. They rejected it. They said Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council said that one country, two systems is unacceptable. It's not an option for Taiwan. Um, and then we saw the Taiwanese foreign ministry. They really criticized China for putting out this white paper as they were doing all these new military drills that were a response to Nancy Pelosi visiting Taiwan. Um, one thing, I mean, kind of the de facto situation is sort of this one country, two systems, because Taiwan hasn't formally declared independence. They're de facto independent, I guess. They operate as their own country, but even they technically don't consider themselves uh, independent of mainland China. And we see this split that I talked about yesterday between the different political parties in Taiwan, the ruling party of Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen. They lean more towards independence, but she hasn't declared independence. And then the Kuomintang Party, who has sent a delegation to China, they lean more towards, you know, they buy into the one China principle. They think the government in Taiwan, you know, there's one China, and that is the government in Taiwan. And they don't, but they're, they lean more towards unification with Beijing. Um, but yeah, and, the, and I just mentioned, you know, all the provocations that we've been seeing from the U.S. with Taiwan, the increased support, and how China has made clear U.S. support for what they call independence forces will lead to war. They want peaceful reunification. They've really emphasized that a lot. But they also say that they won't rule out the use of, the use of force if the U.S., what they call external forces and what they call separatist elements in Taiwan, go too far. So the next one here, the U.S. ambassador to Israel said that the U.S. supports Israel's fight against bad guys in Gaza. Now, he made these comments, Tom Nides, the U.S. ambassador to Israel, after Israel's three-day bombing campaign in Gaza that killed the death toll has risen a little bit, 48 Palestinians, including 17 children. So Nides said, quote, these are bad guys. He's referring to the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. That's the group that Israel targeted in its first strike, which hit Gaza last Friday. It killed an Islamic Jihad leader, but it also killed a five-year-old girl and several other Palestinians. Um, but Naid said, you know, we understand the situation in Gaza. We have, you have our full support, pretty much is what he said. Now, Israel claimed that the bombing campaign was launched to prevent attacks from the Islamic Jihad, but the group did not make any public threats prior to the initial airstrike, so we would just have to take Israel's word for it there. 
We saw Islamic Jihad launch rockets into Israel in response to these airstrikes, but no Israelis were killed. It was just Palestinians that got killed. And um, we saw this with Biden. I mean, Nides, he said the U.S. is fully supportive of Israel's actions in Gaza. We saw Biden come out strongly in support of their bombing campaign in Gaza. He said that the U.S. was proud to support Israel. And uh, it was just, you know, it just goes to show how they're all in for whatever Israel does to Gaza, which has been under blockade since 2007. And whenever we have these bombing campaigns, children are always being killed. I mean, 17 out of 48 of them, people that were killed were, were children. On Thursday, a 10-year-old Palestinian girl succumbed to wounds that she sustained during the bombing campaign, and that raised the death toll to 48. So just more support for what Israel is doing to the people of Gaza. The next one here, Sweden agrees to extradite man to Turkey after NATO deal. So the Swedish government announced Thursday that it, that it has decided to extradite a man to Turkey who is wanted for fraud. And this move comes after Sweden and Finland signed a deal with Turkey to cooperate on extradition so that they can join NATO. So after signing the deal, um, Turkey submitted a list of dozens of suspected what they call terrorists to Sweden. Um, and I think they requested some from Finland too, but it's it seems like Sweden is where they're is what they're most concerned with. It's where more people are that they want to extradite. And it's mainly suspected members of the PKK, which is a Kurdish militant group that Turkey considers to be a terrorist organization. But, and we've seen Turkey kind of express frustration since they submitted these names. Nothing has really happened. This is the first one we've seen. According to Swedish media reports, this guy was on the list of names that Turkey submitted to Sweden, but it doesn't appear that he's has anything to do with the PKK. He was, he's a Turkish citizen and he was convicted in Turkey and sentenced to 14 years in prison for credit card fraud, but he's been detained in Sweden for the past year. So I guess he fled to Sweden, but so he's been arrested in Sweden over the past year. And he argued to the Swedish Supreme Court that he was wrongfully convicted in Turkey because he converted to Christianity, refused military service, and has Kurdish heritage. But Sweden's Supreme Court decided to go through with the extradition. Um, so we'll see. I mean, this is one step in that direction. Now, Turkey, we just saw the Senate and Joe Biden ratify Sweden and Finland's NATO memberships, but they need every NATO member to do that. They need their legislature to approve them. And the only, the only country that could potentially block it is Turkey. So it really, we just have to see if Turkey's going to be satisfied with Sweden and Finland's response to their demands. And that's really the only thing that could stop them from joining NATO is if they don't give in to Turkey's demands. And there's a lot of pressure. The Swedish government is under a lot of domestic pressure not to deport uh, Kurds that Turkey accuses of being terrorists. So there's a chance that they might not do as much as Turkey wants. And then that would keep them out of NATO. And now to see... If that would mean Finland too, we're not sure. Finland's really the big one because Finland shares an over 800-mile border with Russia. So NATO's really 
expanding its border with Russia if Finland joins. Um, we'll see what happens with that. And then the last one here. So we've seen more about these Iran nuclear deal talks. We saw that the EU said that they put in a finalized text, a final deal for Iran to take back, for Iran and the U.S. to take back and look at and hopefully agree on to revive the nuclear deal, lift the sanctions on Iran. But now we're seeing, this is from Jason Ditz, Iranian officials are disputing EU assessments of the nuclear deal text, saying it is not finalized. Um, so that kind of signals that maybe there's more to work out or they're not happy with it. Um, so it's just not really a good sign that every, both sides are going to agree to this EU proposal. Uh, but that's it for the news today. Again, we have that good viewpoint from Lozanski about the nuclear potential nuclear catastrophe over these the shelling of that nuclear power plant. But that's it for the week. Um, I hope everybody's enjoying the show. You can contact me, news at antiwar.com. Follow me on Twitter at DeCamp Dave. Support the show, antiwar.com slash donate. And sign up for our newsletter, antiwar.com slash newsletter. It's nice and easy. Everything's antiwar.com. <laughs> easy to remember. Um, so that's it for the week. I will be back after the weekend, and I hope everybody has a good one. Thank you.